0: Hi, everybody. Welcome. We're so glad that you've joined us. Uh, This podcast is set up as a resource and made available as part of our series and word for the year at Mill City Church. We are uh, leaning into practice. Uh, Practice because uh, Jesus ends his Sermon on the Mount, his Kingdom Manifesto, talking about wise and foolish disciples and the one difference between them being Those who hear his teachings, both of them hear his teachings, hear the words of Jesus. One puts them into practice and the other doesn't. And so we want to be people who put his words into practice. So we are leaning into that reality, what that looks like. Uh, If we could hear it, do it just in a thought because we wanted to, then I think we would all be pretty uh, amazing and uh, not be bumping into some of the things of our own hearts and our lives and bumps in interactions. And so uh, we're talking through what that looks like and for each series or each practice that we're talking through, um, we will provide a podcast. So uh, this is episode one and excited about where we're going today. We just finished the first few weeks of um, the foundational series of practice before we jump into each unique practice. And so uh, I'm joined today by my dear friend Uh, hud mcwilliams dr hud mcwilliams and uh we're just gonna have a conversation about uh, practice and what it looks like and how we do it and some of the nuances and difficulties and things that uh, either we've learned working with people or um in all the different ways so i'd love to take a moment and introduce you hud and you can add anything that i might forget (laughs) first of all uh you've been married to your uh, lovely wife nancy for uh just now over 57 years and so congratulations on that Um, that is amazing and but you throughout your uh, history or throughout your life have been a professor you've been a pastor uh, you've been a counselor uh, even now you're you kind of all all of those things and a pastor to pastors and really helping people live into calling and ultimately into the way of Jesus and so Creeping up on eighty, and uh, I love your vibrance, uh, the ways in which you've explored and leaned into these things. You're a gift to me and Jossie, and uh, a gift to our house. And I'm grateful for you, and a gift to the body of Christ. So, thanks Mm -hmm. for taking time to be with us and be a part of this conversation.
1: Yeah, we're grateful to be here, and it's uh, just one thing you said that I'd like to kind of yeah emphasize the. since I started really being married and a profession, uh, one single theme has predominated, and that's what does it take to continue to grow throughout your yeah. lifetime? So the core of what we're going to talk about from my point of view is that particular theme.
0: Right, growth. How? Because we want to be growing. We're all in different parts of the spectrum. And maybe we'll we'll start there. I'll even say this I you said one time. I thought that as I got as we were married longer, it would be easier, but it's not.
1: Well, and I, I'm I'm presently surprised that uh, theologically even I have more questions than I used to have, and I thought it would be just the other way around. I thought I would be kind of sliding down the slope instead of still climbing. And but I'm wildly grateful that I'm that there's more to learn, and it's not. There's not an ending point, and it's you're you're continually drawn into m- more of the mystery and more of the delight of the complexity of creation and the beauty of creation as a result. Because I think we miss that most of the time. We we work toward a degree, or we work toward some retirement, or we work toward, toward some end, rather than opening it up to wow, there's more here, and that's the surprise about marriage. Mm.
0: Yeah, what what you said something to me one time. You said. He said, it hasn't, I love her more, but it hasn't gotten easier.
1: That's right. That's <laughs> right. It's, it's actually more of a challenge because I know more, a little bit more, and thus comes more responsibility. And how equipped am I, how practiced am I, if you will, mm-hmm. in applying what I think I know to doing this impossible goal that God gives me to love my wife? When will I have accomplished that? So I, I just keep thinking. It should be easier, but it just doesn't get easier. It gets more challenging, and I think that's a good thing. I think that's what stretches you and keeps you alive, and yeah, surprises you and stretches you and uh, yeah, challenges you, and that's what grows you and that's what satisfies you ultimately.
0: So to, to you know even apply that same idea in terms of loving your wife more or loving your kids more, or all those things. I mean, to translate that into the larger conversation, we're talking about how do we not just love Jesus more, but actually become more like him, and which requires, I suppose, some people in relationships that get a little kind of discomplacent and laissez-faire, like, we've been married for a long time, so we're good. Or uh, And so, you know, I think we can do the same thing with with Jesus. So yeah. there's this, this growth like a, would you say there's a growth mindset that's like part of this how would you describe
1: yeah i think it's a it's a, like a hurdle you have to get over somehow and and in hurdling this is interesting in hurdling you can actually knock the hurdle down and it's legal right so it's not a matter of there's one way to do this but the hurdle is still there the hurdle is an obstacle of some kind. And the obstacle for us, I think, is uh, broken people coming out of the fall. We're fragmented. We're, we're parsed out into, into pieces. And so normally we focus on one piece and think that that's going to be great. And I think what happens to most of us is we don't think about pulling all this together and wholeness and having all these parts relate together. So a lot of times we'll, we'll like get married and say, well, now I've satisfied that requirement, if you will. But it's just, that's the beginning. That should be the launching pad. But a lot of times, the wedding is the ending for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. You know, I've achieved this, I've accomplished this, now I'll do my job, then we'll have kids, you know, and then we'll go on vacations or whatever our goals are. But we don't think about integrating all those pieces, which makes it more complicated, more challenging, more demanding. And yet, that's where your strength comes from, applying the same principles in all those arenas uh, gives you gives you access, I think, to wholeness where uh, for a long time I was so focused on work that my relationships, I just assumed they would be there and didn't, I didn't put any effort into them outside of demanded effort from, say, a conflict or something. So now I would say I would like to put effort into them by design, rather than by default. So I don't have to, based on conflict. I get to, based on desire. Mm. So
0: the goal, the goal is integration. That's right. Right. The, the teachings of Jesus and the practice of them, is so your words match up with your way. That's right. Um, which, which is a lifelong process. <laughs>
1: It's called congruence, I think, you know, that, that they match, right? Yeah. And I think so often we can say, well, this is, a, to me, this is the hard part of talking about practice. Uh, it's obvious we need to do that. I was reading, kind of in thinking about us having this conversation, I was reading whoever wrote Hebrews, talking about, in chapter 5 he talks about, you should be, mature. You should be eating meat now, but you're not. You're still drinking milk, and so you need to grow up. And then he has this interesting little phrase at the very end of chapter 5, and he says the way you're going to grow up is through practice and training in God's Word so that you uh, can discern general good from general evil. And I think a lot of times we have a difficult time ascertaining general good from general evil. And it's because we don't train and practice. And so he actually uses those two words together and practices what you've chosen as the word for the year. But training is this like a coach or what we're kind of doing here. We're hopefully gonna offer some training opportunities for people. This is what it might look like for you. This is something we might say that they might apply to somebody and wherever they are in their journey. Hopefully, give them an idea, give them a handle, give them a... Mm-hmm. And to me, that's what the practices do. They give you a a vehicle, a window into, oh, I can do this, not because it's a practice, but because there's a bigger picture I want to accomplish. And that's the... So I can discern general good from general equal. Right.
0: And, and then, to take it a step further... The the goal isn't just doing it to do it. Exterior performance. Absolutely. Um, it's not like here's the words of Jesus after Jesus talks in the Sermon on, on the Mount about our hearts. you know, It's not just about you not murdering somebody. It's about anger being in your heart. So Jesus isn't ending his sermon by saying just do these things well on the outside so people think well of you. So there is this like do exterior things to impact interior things. So um, what does that look like in, you know, in 80 years of life and 80 years of teaching and walking alongside people? How does, what are some of the pitfalls? What is the, um, you know, I, I, hear, I hear anything from legalism to God will do it. You know, it's a, it's a hard issue. So so let God be be the one to transform.
1: Well, it's it's, this to me is the core or the seminal piece, should be the seminal piece of our conversation. Uh, practice is necessary, but if it's unattached from the heart or from your interior world or from however you wanna say that, your will and your soul and your spirit, uh, there's gonna be some kind of a breakdown. And I often think, we try to work it backwards a lot of times, like if I practice enough, it will somehow change the inside. And I honestly don't think that's. I'm not sure that's possible. I think the inside is what God's interested in us starting with. So maybe this this framework would be just a little bit helpful. Uh, I think the church I grew up in was wildly satisfied by behavioral change: stop swearing, stop drinking, stop sexing, stop doing whatever's awful. And if you stop watching pornography or if you stop something, then we all cheer. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: You're no longer, you know, you're no longer a victim of that, so to speak. But you can be a dry drunk or you can be, Mm -hmm. you can be just as lustful inside. And that's what Jesus is getting at, I think, in the Sermon on the Mount. So maybe a way to try to think about this is what would anchor my interior world? And I was I was thinking the only motivation that I think scripture gives us is grace. And grace as a motivator is really slippery, but it's, the idea is this if it's a gift, if salvation is a gift, then the only way I can respond to that is with gratitude. And gratitude is this dependency issue that says, I'm going to practice this, but I'm going to practice it because I'm grateful. Not because I have to, not because of anything else. And it's out of that gratitude, it sounds like it seems like to me that I can integrate, begin to integrate these things that have been fragmented in my life, uh, maybe through abuse or maybe through blindness or maybe through uh, something that wasn't done in my life, you know, whether it's mm-hmm. whether it's something that actively said or done to me or something that's been left out, it doesn't matter. I still have to come back to the inside and say, can I be grateful? Mm-hmm. And Paul says it this way in First Corinthians, he says something like, 1 uh, Corinthians 4, middle line in verse seven says, what do you have that you didn't receive? And it's a rhetorical question that says, everything, your next breath is purely out of your control. So, what's your response to it? Well, it ought to be gratitude, and so somehow gratitude lies at the base of this. If freedom is going to be the product,
0: so you used a phrase I really love, and I'd love for us to like really g- grasp a hold of and and live into, and that is like grace as a motivator. Like, what a a great phrase! Like, like not performance as a motivator, not. I'm going to be the disciplined person as a motivator. Um, so, talk about what uh, maybe are other possible motivators, and then also what, how do you how do you? I hear gratitude as a way to make sure that that happens. Can you just talk a little bit more, unpack sure, that? Sure,
1: sure. I think this is the interior work that people don't like to do. Let me see if I can, in a short period of time, give an example of this. I, I've been in a position where I had to evaluate say pastors or missionaries on the field and i find i i found for a while that a bunch of missionaries were not doing the work that they were supposed to be doing lots of reasons some individuals some corporate some structural etc but it didn't it didn't really matter i wanted to address the fact that they weren't uh being productive and i want to be careful even with that word because that's once again you can be productive for the wrong reasons right mm-hmm. so This is how you rearrange this order. And I think uh, what I found was, you would look into this person's life and you would say, here's some feedback. And unless a person's asking for it, most people resist that. There's some kind of defense, they push back against it. And what I found was they, then they wanted, the the ones that wanted to stay on the field would say, what do we need to do? Mm. So listen to the language, what do we need to do to stay on the field? And it's not, I wasn't looking for them to do something, I was looking for them to be different. Knowing that the product of being different will be doing different. Mm. But if all they, if the only hurdle they wanna jump over is the doing, then we're stuck. So back to motivation.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What motivates them ultimately? Well, if it's not the love of Christ that constrains us, I think, is, mm-hmm. or motivates us, as Paul says. If that's not the driver, then then something's lost in that connection between what goes on on the energy side inside of us, and what we try to activate out here on the outside. Well, both are necessary.
0: Right. I think that's the that's the 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 Tense. catch of yeah, the, it of is. it is like we want to do these exterior things, not for performance reasons, motivated by grace, to impact the internal, <laughs> to therefore then ex- impact the external.
1: Right. And I'm not looking at. The results of the external, then I I can turn it around. Uh, I can do these things, and this might be a failure, not successful, or this might not change. My marriage may not survive. My something else might not work out. My kid might not get well, or cancer might not be healed, or whatever. Uh, but the interior world is what anchors you, settles you, you know, and it's it's just like. Once again, the letter to the Hebrews in chapter 11, you have all these success stories of walking by faith. And then I think it's verse 35, it, right in the middle of the verse it says, and then there were some...
0: Who got sawed in half.
1: Yeah, they obviously weren't successful product-wise, mm-hmm. but they were anchored interiorly. Right. How's that for a rant?
0: Yeah, it's great. It's <laughs> great. I mean, I think the what I love about... Uh, this and what is so necessary about this is that it's not do this get this there you go that it's not a formula formula yeah. Yeah. and so we have to lean into the the nuance the uniquenesses of our individual personalities contexts histories proclivities <laughs> right
1: absolutely uh, uh, you and i talked just a moment about this guy that I think he wrote uh, five love languages. What's his name? Uh,
0: Gary Thomas. Oh,
1: thank you. <laughs> and he, and I, he also wrote these nine spiritual pathways or streams. I yeah. think he calls them sacred streams. And he's all he's doing is taking different personalities and saying, this is how one person sees his relationship, his connection to God. And this is how another person does. And, what what he I think he's pushing against is this formula idea that if you do this practice you'll achieve this goal and one of my observations is that a lot of people that are serious about uh, practicing the disciplines or practices if you will uh, is that they come away tired and proud neither mm-hmm. neither of which is a very biblical or integrating idea I, I pray every day and now I'm tired you know or I'm addicted to prayer even or whatever practice it is and it's backwards once again okay. so keeping the order matters it seems like to me but it doesn't absolve you from having to do the work so
0: right such a ten- it so is. it's living in attention yeah. it's paradoxical almost paradoxical and maybe oh. being a bit um aware of the dynamics that you you know you just mentioned the aw- awareness of this could turn into performance or legalism or you know I'm gonna read my Bible a lot but knowledge can puff up so I could I'm susceptible to pride or uh, self righteousness by doing this so consistently or something like that.
1: For example, I I was uh, I grew up in a pretty fundal fundamental church and uh, when somebody said well I my spiritual life is activated by being outside and I feel closer to God in nature. Well, Thomas talks about some for some people being in nature really matters. And so I always thought that was a cop out.
0: Hmm.
1: But what he what he did was he corrected that and he said for some people that really is a good place. So I took a walk outside yesterday and of course it was freezing 15 degrees or wherever, whatever. But being outside was so soul feeding and satisfying. And I thought it's not the form again. It's but so it matches different personalities and God's there to meet us.
0: So the thing for you that was bumping originally because of your more fundamentalist, legalistic mm-hmm. type of background was like reading your Bible is more spiritual. Exactly. Is that, exactly.
1: Or go to church, or make make sure you're at the prayer meeting, or yeah. whatever external requirement I could place. And I thought, well, if people are just outside, that doesn't. How could that possibly count? And I'm at the point where I would say, everything counts.
0: Right. <laughs> I think the thing that I've, uh, you know, I remember the uh, Richard Foster's book coming out. You know, it's been 45 yeah, 40 years sure now has. since it came out. The late, long list and. And you know, very familiar with, and and not to dismiss or diminish reading scripture and prayer and fasting and what seems like those are the the main ones that oh, maybe come to our right. minds. Right. But I remember reading the uh, chapter on celebration as a <laughs> as a discipline. And I like I like that one. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> and and then the other. I think the other way that it's helped been helpful for me is to think about that. The Bible doesn't use the term spiritual discipline, and right. but Jesus, Jesus says to become you know follow him. Uh, Paul says, "I'm praying for you to be formed into the image of Christ." That that's the main goal. So Jesus says, "Follow me." So he doesn't say these are the spiritual disciplines. He just does them, <laughs> and then we're to do what Jesus did because it was part of his. Uh, change in formation you know he was god but he also was human so there's this f- human he, formation he learned obedience didn't he? yeah so so that's been helpful for me you know so then eating with people far from god is a discipline or taking a nap is a discipline <laughs> uh, the practices the life based on the lifestyle of jesus that that shape us um, and then maybe to take this just a little bit further to think about you know you mentioned sacred I think it's called Sacred Pathways, Pathways by uh,
1: Gary Thomas. Streams, maybe.
0: So, uh, you know, we all have natural tendencies. We might be an extrovert or we might be an introvert. So an extrovert might love the practice of community or the more external, you know, active types. Or, But the ice, the introvert might prefer, you know, the practice of solitude or silence or something. So, So I think in some ways Gary Thomas gives the, like, the encouragement towards you can meet with God in a powerful way and grow in him in nature. And you can grow with him in this other way. If your personality is more bent in this direction. Um, But just because that's our personality doesn't mean that's the only way. So there is a balance needed. Am I, is that
1: for an integration of all those things. So if I'm at one point in time in my life, it may, it may be, uh, I may be able to access a particular way that's closer to how I'm wired and I have to give it up later because of age or context or situation or whatever. Uh, but it doesn't mean I still can't access that. And I uh, I like the idea of working out because it's uh, it's a mystery in a way and you can't pin it down and you can't be in shape. It's a, you can't save it up, right? So being in shape means that I have to keep at it in some way. And that's what I think that's primarily what we're talking about. How do you get in shape and stay in shape when you can't store it? That's great. So all my prayer back here is a a ground out of which I can operate. But bottom line, I need to pray today because I need the connection today. Mm. And uh, how I need to work out today, and there's how many how many different exercises are there for your stomach, for instance? I mean, probably a thousand, but there's no shortcuts. Right, you've got to pick one of them,
0: <laughs> and you can't do all of them no. in the first week of the year and <laughs> expect right. that exactly. to to hold. So, and and you know, to use that metaphor of working out, the you know, I think of the guy in the gym who only does one one type, you know, and he's like got these. A, you know, huge chest, and uh, but then he's got chicken legs. Yeah. You know, so so there's this need for keep don't stop doing this, but also make sure that you're you're not just reading scripture all the time and not spending time with Sabbath or
1: whatever. I was I was surprised. Uh, this has been part of my history. Uh, I'm humbled by and surprised by how many professors and seminaries that I've been able to talk to for various reasons, most of them uh, I have had access to through their children. So their children were in trouble in some way and eventually they got. I got to talk to them. And universally, uh, they are good at exegeting the scriptures, mm. but the application fails in some way. <clears throat> so it's not just knowledge of scripture that will carry you. It's important that you have knowledge of scripture. That's a wonderful thing but it's not enough, you know, I mean, so, so like you say, you can overdo any one of these. Mm -hmm. And it's helpful for me to listen to Paul when he talks to Timothy and he says, everything God created is good when it's used the way it's designed to be used. So that includes scripture. Uh, It's it's designed to be good, but it can be perverted as well. Mm -hmm. So all the cults, almost all the cults have some rootedness in scripture. It's just a distortion. It's a perversion of what Scripture was really for. So Mm -hmm. oftentimes we use Scripture as a magic pill instead of a piece of the equation, I guess, that helps Mm -hmm. us integrate the whole of life instead of just a part of it. And so I even shy away from talking about spiritual formation. I like to talk about life formation because I think there's not anything in our lives that doesn't come under the rubric of spiritual
0: yeah, it's the, the phrase that we've used, which I um, stole from Pete Scazzaro about, um, you know, spiritual maturity and emotional health are inseparable. They go together. You yeah, know, yeah. We, we know the person that can pray the pain off the walls, <laughs> but but is angry and mean. Right. Or treats his
1: kids poorly. Or- right. Yeah, so
0: they don't need to pray more. They need to keep praying, but they also need to integrate some other things um, in order to become a person of love.
1: Ephesians 4, probably my kind of an anchor verse for me in terms of what I've tried to think about in terms of ministry for me has been where Paul says, speak the truth in love. So he says, you're to speak the truth and then you're you're to modify it. The way you speak it is in, in a loving way. And, and in that passage, he modifies it a few more times. You can't lie and you can't say unwholesome things and you say things that edify and Build people up and appropriate for the need of the moment, and give grace. So he's talking about how you speak the truth, but then the next line is thereby grow up. Mm. And the and the one that I think we're talking about right now is in all aspects. So name one aspect that doesn't come under that. Mm. I mean, financially, morally, socially, familiarly, culturally, politically. You know, it doesn't matter. Uh, all of those things have to be attended to. Well, that's doesn't seem like a formula. It seems like, oh my gosh, you know, when this comes up, I need to learn how to respond to it in a disciplined way, if you will, or a contained way, or a ordered way, so okay. that integration really is occurring. So I really am healing, being whole and healthy. Kind of off of Scazzaro's phrase, if nothing else. Right.
0: So just tease this out just a little bit more. So we've talked a little bit about like personality and like feel free to lean into what is more your natural bent and be aware of area other areas that may need may need take more work, if you will, or effort may not be as natural, but are necessary to mm-hmm. not just balance things out like you have to do one as much as you do the other. But I also think of times in life when things, some things, get dry. You know, it's like okay, I am now going through the motions, which I don't need to necessarily feel like it all the time. So there is something about just consistency and rhythm. But um, I like the I like the thought of drawing out of a different well, but that's accessing the same water table. So so I might find like something to have a well to have dried up a bit and not just to keep going into that well, go to a different way to to engage the grace and the mercy and the power of, and the presence of God to impact my heart in order to become who Jesus wants me to become. So can you talk about that? Maybe talk about any... Um, am I, Is that right? <laughs>
1: I guess who's well, at first? That right. <laughs> well, I think uh, one thing that really impacted me a number of years ago, and I still muse on it and churn around around it, is how complicated creation is and how we are so desperate to make it simpler. So I think we get stuck sometimes uh, when we are trying to simplify something that's really pretty dense and complex and layered and dimensional. And one person said, you know, God, functions in all 13 dimensions that we've been able to identify and we have trouble functioning in one or two, Mm -hmm. you know, in fact, we have to put glasses on to go to a 3d movie, you know, so, so three dimensions is pretty hard for us, but you get 12 dimensions. None of us can keep up with that. Well, I, I, to me, that's a, that's a draw to, to realize that the goodness of God is, is not playing a game with me is really, Mm -hmm. he wants more growth in me than I want. And, and so he's, provides an opportunity, and it might be an opportunity in parenting my children, or working harder at work, or even changing jobs, or thinking different about my marriage, or trying something new, another risk. And that's that's where, you know, if we go back to physical training, you, you keep changing up your routine. Why? Because your muscle needs all aspects of exercise, if you will, to be be whole and active and if and if you've overdone one you're gonna notice it pretty quickly when it's called on in another setting mm. and i i think uh I, I honestly think our adversary comes after us at this point and tries to distract us in some way and he's he's very glad if you're a prayer addict because then you can be satisfied with praying
0: mm. a- okay talk about that a bit <laughs> like somebody might say you should be addicted to prayer like that's better than being addicted to drugs which may be true but Maybe. talk about addiction <laughs> well,
1: well addiction even
0: towards something good
1: addiction is driven by uh, avoidance of something and you can use prayer to avoid life and prayer should drive us into life and open up and turn on the lights and help us to face it and we're more, more straight up but uh, and that's what Paul means when he says, walk in the light. And he said, You were darkness. Now you are light. And that kind of language is to try to get us to move back into Eden in a way where we were naked and unashamed and we were exposed. So everything was seen. And in this in the text in Ephesians, he says something like, He said, There are some things so awful we can't even talk about them, but they still need to be exposed by the light.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that that's where salvation, that's where wholeness we can access that well once again that's what motivates us to do that is it fear or is it shame or is it guilt or is it obligation or is it some kind of practice mm-hmm. or or the other way around is it a really a growing appreciation that god's grace is what saves us and it is what gives us a new identity and a new heart and a new way to look at life and it's god's grace that anchors us then and i this is why i've been playing for a long time with what in the world does God's grace look like as a motivator? It seems too weak. It seems too too soft. But it's actually the core message. And it's so against the world. It's all power oriented. And yet it's the truth that we try to portray all the time. So the, the anchor for this year, from my point of view, is recognizing how central grace is. It's the you're saved by grace. That's what you're saved by. And so my response to that should be gratefulness. And gratefulness is a sign of dependency. And that means I take my place and that's a sign of humility. And, that's, and all that stuff gets tied together. And so uh, then when I do a practice, uh, it's, it's sitting in the right place. It's not supplemental or covering up something else. So addiction covers up something and avoid mm-hmm. something, uh, healthy people face it, and they face it quickly. Mm-hmm. So if I don't have space in my life to face things, uh, they'll take on a life of their own.
0: Which means that the, the goal in all of this is... The goal is to access grace, and the goal is to be motivated by grace. <laughs>
1: And, and to access the results of it, which is freedom and joy, mm-hmm. regardless of the context.
0: Right, which means that the questions we should be asking ourselves are not, do I pray every day? Right. Though that's not a bad question to ask. <laughs> <No>. Absolutely. <laughs> we should, but we should also be asking, have I become more loving? Or maybe we should ask someone else, <laughs> if we've become more loving or patient.
1: What's my impact? Mm-hmm. You know?
0: Because at the end of the day, the ways in which the ways of Jesus or the practices of his teaching, as mentioned in the end of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, should look like something in our relationships.
1: That's right. And I think his warning, I mean, you you keep referring to the very last warning, and I had to, you gave me the chance to talk about the one before that. But the, I think the people that missed him, even though they did these marvelous behaviors of prophesying and healing and, you know, mm-hmm. doing doing these things in his name and he says, I don't even know you well that's something's missing in that. Mm-hmm. So they're they're practicing an external behavior of some kind without it anchored in their soul. So he didn't there's no relational connection. So I think too often we do back to the formula idea, we do this in a legalistic way as opposed to a relational way. If I could Maybe the maybe that's unfair to put those to, as a, as just the two in a binary way. But for our conversation here, it just seems like it's hard to get to the relational side of it. It's that's the messy side. That's the inefficient mm-hmm. side. That's the difficult side. That's the that's where healing takes place, and it's just hard for people to offload. Maybe that's a thing we should talk about just a tiny bit. A big part of practices is taking the trash out. So I, I'm i going to add things to my practice, if you will. Well, then I have to take some outworn things mm. and make sure I'm taking, getting rid of them so that I can have room to practice, if you will, what, the, what this is new. Daniel has this phrase in, I think it's 11 and 12, and he repeats it, and it says... Uh, something like to be refined, purged, and purified. Mm-hmm. Three words of removal, taking the trash out. And he repeats it twice, you know, same same phrase in both chapters. And I think that's hard to offload stuff that's outworn. Mm-hmm. Maybe if this worked back here, but it's not going to work here. So what worked for me when I was 20 is not working for me at this at my age now. Mm-hmm. And it's not that this was bad. It may have been informative, it may have been necessary, like chaff, But at some point when I harvest the wheat, I don't need chaff anymore. Right. So if I don't get rid of it, I don't have space for this other. And I think those are the things that confound us. So a lot of times we do addiction with this stuff and then we wonder why it doesn't work.
0: Right. Okay, you said something to me one time. You said addiction is boring. It
1: is. (laughs) Because it's predictable. It's it's always the same. I don't care what you're addicted to. uh, Because it's an avoidance of something. And every time you run into it from a therapeutic standpoint you're just going oh here we go again we have to unbundle the same process in order to get at setting a person free and allowing them to be whole and creative and spontaneous and surprising and alive if you will as opposed to predictable and you know and there's not predictability sounds like a really really good thing but we're not made to be predictable. I think we're made to be surprised, mm-hmm. and we ought to be surprised by God every day in some way because He is God, and and He's made us in His image. And we ought to be surprised at each other a lot of times and not bored. And think of how often your kids say, "Well, I'm bored," you know.
0: Less these days because they oftentimes go to a screen, which is right. a whole other That's conversation. Right? right? Have that conversation <laughs> as well. Absolutely.
1: Well, it fills in the space where you can do. Mm-hmm. You can have some reflective awareness Mm -hmm. of what's going on inside of you. Anything that will distract you probably moves you toward an addictive Mm -hmm. denial or avoidance or numbing uh, as opposed to sensitizing you to be more alive and more present and more Mm aware.
0: Yeah, I love this conversation. I think one of the things that like a theme that seems to be like emerging in is... One, it isn't just a formula. Uh, there is effort, and Dallas Willard says it's um, grace is not opposed to um, hard work. Yeah, effort. It's opposed to earning. That's you right. know that somehow, if we do this, we have we will earn greater spiritual points or God's love or favor or grace. Um, so there isn't a formula to it, and yet it also is this like fluid process you know requires effort but also this like be you gotta pay attention pay attention to the where you're at and what like what you said what worked at 20 doesn't work at 60 or 80 or or maybe even 25 right Sure. um so so there's this which which requires relational like not just relational like god what do you want me to do now but also a relationship with yourself
1: oh man uh I think one of the things we don't talk about enough, and when I when I bring this up, usually I get pushback. Uh, I think maybe the relationship with yourself is the anchor point for all of this. And most of us are pretty far away from that for some reason. We are afraid if somebody really knew us, they'd reject us or they wouldn't like us or whatever. One author writes, he says, if if, the other, if you haven't been open to the other and vulnerable to the other, you can't trust them when they say they love you. Mm-hmm. Because you're worried if, if they knew this thing about you that you haven't told them, that you've withheld from them, this secret, this hidden thing, this history or whatever it is, that they would reject you and so you're going to control that in some way. And it thins out your relationship. Where if you can be known... Mm-hmm which is the word for intimacy. If you can be known, you're in a different ballgame. And I think if this is all about relationship with the holy, ultimately, uh, are we going to do practices that will bring us more into a vibrant, alive, challenging, surprising, interesting relationship? You know, And how do we keep that alive and not thin it out by some ritual that's mm not life-giving, essentially. And that's what makes it so complicated. It's just because it's a mystery, you know. My relationship, somebody asked me how well I knew Nancy, and I said, well, maybe 5 to 10%, and they looked at me like I was crazy. And I said, I'm not being mean. I said, I've studied her for all my life, essentially, since I was in high school. And I really like her. That's never wavered. And I'm still getting to know her. And she surprises me every day. Because she's a unique human being. And if I'm willing to listen to that, we're in good shape. But when I stop that for some ways, that's when we conflict oftentimes. Because I I don't want her to change. I don't want her to be hard to handle or I don't want to be, you know, that sounds awful. But the the rule about relationship is I can only take care of this relationship with me because that's all I have to offer. Which is back to what you just said a minute ago. Our relationship with ourselves is probably the key element in all this conversation.
0: Which is which is both (laughs) well, I guess a couple of things I'd say. One, we somehow neglect it because we think that our like oh just relationship with God alone is everything that I need to pay attention to, which leads to I just need to pray and not worry about other things. But you know Jesus of course says love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, but then love your neighbor as yourself. So here in the greatest commandment is three relationships. God self and others. That's right. Um, but it's also maybe the hardest one. I think it is.
1: Yeah. What what fell for relationships? Our relationship with creation, with other people, with God, and with ourselves. And the one that's hardly ever taught on is the relationship with ourselves. And there's a guy named Bernard Clairvaux. He was, I call him Bernie. <laughs> he, he was some monk a long time ago, yeah. but he writes this thing called uh, four degrees of love, and the short form of it is the love of self for self's sake, which makes which every child in the world starts off with. And when you morph out of that, you're going to love God for self's sake, and that makes God an instrument. So, we've been going through 21 days of prayer. A lot of times, our prayers are instrumental. We want God to be an instrument to you know, we put our prayer in, it's like a coin-op machine, I get my answer back. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, except that that's not much of a relationship. That's a mechanical, user-friendly relationship. And then Clairvaux goes on and he says, you need to love God for God's sake. And when I first read this, I thought, man, that's it. How can it get any Mm. more spiritual? Talking about spiritual formation. If I love God for God's sake, that's it. But he says, no, the fourth level is the love of self for God's sake. Because this is all you have to give to him. This is all I have to work with with my kids, or with my wife, or in this conversation. I don't have anything else but me, and so, it healing this relationship, integrating this relationship, uh, accepting the resources that help me become whole uh, and healed, is powerful stuff. Because then I'm I'm anchored. I. I know where my identity comes from. It doesn't come from performance. It comes from a pure gift. That's what grace is. You know, mm-hmm. It's by grace that I've made you a new creature in Christ. And so that piece of the puzzle seems to me to be the harsh one for us to embrace.
0: Which requires humility. Absolutely. Or you won't receive it. Right. Humility to receive. Mm-hmm. And then walk in it. Um, and one last one last idea that we'll kind of land on, and then we'll land the plane here. Okay. Um, and that is, so if humility is and what you just described, I love that list from um, Bernie. <laughs> the uh, the there that we have to be aware. <laughs> this is this is feels like a catch twenty two. We have to be aware of self deception, <laughs> <Absolutely. laughs> which if we're self deceived, it's oftentimes um, we don't see it because we don't think we are. So. I I unpack that just a bit because because that seems I know that as a pastor um you I, in counseling uh and other aspects we maybe we so often refuse to see ourselves
1: we don't we we posture pretty quickly mm. and I think it's just in our nature as living in this world uh we want to be seen well, or in the image that we want to be, we feel like would make us comfortable in some way, uh, rather than be seen by God and walk out of that imagery. Self-deception, the unique thing about self-deception is it's not possible to be self de- self-deceived unless you first self-betray. Hmm. Self-betrayal is the step into self-deception. So self-betrayal means I have to violate myself in some way. Now, if you're if you've chosen to follow after Jesus and you're a believer walking in this path, and we're listening to your sermons, and we want this, we want to grow, we want to thrive, we want to flourish, and uh, that the shalom statement, you know, we want we want shalom in our lives, we want wholeness in our lives, yeah. we want to we want to whether we're in Exile or not, we want to build houses, have babies, live, you know, have gardens, and show people in the world that this is this is a vibrant, worthwhile life. Uh, I I think that what happens to us is that self-deception is where we betray that person that Jesus died for. You Mm -hmm. know, he died for us. He forgave us. He he energizes us by making us new creatures. He writes. He gives us a new heart. He He's not betraying us in any way. He is, he is. now we are his. And I love the elder brother, younger brother story for that very reason, because the younger brother thought he could lose his sonship and the elder brother thought he could earn it, and both were wrong. They were just sons. Mm-hmm. And we are sons and daughters of God when we follow after him. We're born into that family. And so that whole construct, it seems like, brings back this idea, can I work out of the best in me? The best in me is what he's made me be. Hmm. I am a new creature. So if I betray myself, it'll be I'm violating something of how God now sees me, how God has made me new, how I am in this new place. That self-betrayal is what generates self-deception. And self-deception is the thing that I think is uh, prevalent, I suppose, even in our own culture, uh, because you're lying to yourself, who better to lie to? Mm-hmm. I mean, we might call it rationalizing or justifying, or you know those kind of terms, and and those are pathological terms actually. Uh, that's why that's what you look for in pathology: people that justify all the time. You, if you're a whole person and you belong to God, you don't need to justify. You need to be whole, and mm-hmm. and take feedback and get input and so humility opposite of self-deception is taking your place, you know, Mm -hmm. saying I I no longer have to posture, I no longer have to be a certain way, I no longer have to play some kind of a game, I can just simply be who God made me to be Mm -hmm. and then when I turn around, uh, I will want to, there's your motivation, I will want to out of gratitude because I get to and my family doesn't like this but we say, well, I have to go to go into town today, or I have to do this, or I have to do that. And I think, no, no, we get to. Right. And that shift is that that orients you back to grace again. I get to. This is a privilege. I'm not obligated. Freedom. Right. No shame. I'm not motivated by guilt now. I just get to. Mm-hmm. I get to I get to love my wife. Yeah. As hard as it is, I get to be a steward of this maybe i have a friend whose wife just died and he stayed with her for the last couple of years and it was really difficult and he got to do that mm. and he began to see it as a privilege and an honor even though it was viciously difficult
0: yeah wow what a no that's wonderful and what a great way to end in the sense of thinking about these are practices that we maybe know we need to step into we know we need to grow. We know we, there's a gap between who we are and who we're to be. And yet to not say, well, I guess I have to do this, but to be able to come to the place of humility, I need this. And because of what's offered and available, I get to,
1: I get that. That's
0: and, right. and it's not just, a, I get to, because I have to be disciplined to go work out at the gym, but I get to, in the midst of that meet with God I get to stand in the river of grace and and let it impact me. I get to I get to fast even though I don't like <laughs> being hungry. I get to experience the goodness and grace and sustaining power of God in a new way. I I get to
1: And he gives us gifts, doesn't he?
0: Yeah. So, man, if that can can sink into and land in our souls as we Lean into this year and into each practice. Wow, I get to do that. That's right. And and look what God does as a result of it, not because I've demanded it or earned it, but because He's just a good and giving God that loves us more than we can imagine.
1: Yeah, you'd spend a lifetime trying to embrace that. I think.
0: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Thank you, Hud. Um, Thank you. So grateful for your your the gift of who you are, not just for this time, but in our house and um you know, personally and and so thank you so much um just for a kind of idea for everybody what we'll be doing is uh, after our next practice we'll do something like this again um it'll be different people but but the idea of like processing through getting through the nuances you know That's there's right. so much more nuance and you used the word mystery to what it means to follow Jesus what it means to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus Talking about motivations, not just actions, uh, all of that. So, thanks for highlighting some really (laughs) beautiful things and letting your life speak in such great ways. Yeah, pure joy. Will you take a moment and just pray for us? Pray for anybody who's maybe listened, watched, and uh, that that we might land in that reality.
1: Great, Father, I am uh, just actually wildly grateful uh, for your grace that is sufficient. I think when you told Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, you don't need to keep asking for it, I've given it to you, it's enough. Access it, uh, operate out of it, uh, embrace it, uh, live it fully. And Paul did. And his life was rough and difficult and challenging and painful and full of suffering and a lot of things that we want to avoid. Uh, But it wasn't the only model. Uh, It's not that grace Uh, absolves us from living in this world that's broken. Uh, It gives us the opportunity to live in this world in such a way that we can contribute to the healing and the reintegration and the wholeness that you died to provide for us, I believe. And I pray that as we look at this year and Aaron's leadership and teaching, what you've put in his heart and soul to try to communicate, that it'll be not just practical, but it will be accessible. And it will be an interior, it'll have access to our interior worlds uh, unencumbered by sin and unencumbered by uh, the normal things that would keep us from accessing just this subject that is so central to whether we grow and whether we really flourish. And I pray that we'll not define flourishing as an absence of pain or an absence of struggle or an absence of conflict, but flourishing is... Uh, operating out of fullness and seeing wholeness just like uh, the Hebrew writer said, Jesus, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross. We can endure this life in a vibrant way, bringing the same life that Jesus brought to us, to our lives. And I pray that we can do that in ever-increasing ways. And I just pray that if if we said something today that was not... Additive and not life-giving in some way that you'll protect people that are listening from that. Thank you for your son whose Grace is enough and whose work was finished. Thank you for the spirit That wants us to grow more than we ever would want to grow ourselves Help us to go slow enough long enough listen hard enough to hear that still small voice so that we can thrive if you will and flourish in this world thank you for this time thank you for your son and it's in his name the strong and gentle name of jesus we pray
0: amen amen (laughs) thanks hud you bet